Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. It is Sunday evening, 11.25 p.m. Eastern Time when we are recording this podcast. And Brooks Kepka is your winner of the 105th PGA Championship. Just a clinical display. Final round 67 gave him a two-shot victory over Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland. Fifth major championship title for Brooks Koepka, now the, the 20th player all-time to win at least five major championships. The seventh player all-time to win that number by the age of 34. Rex, you are not in the media center at Oak Hill. You have not joined me in slaving away over a keyboard pounding out a 3,000-word lead story. 3,000 words? That's what you wrote? On Brooks Kapka. There is oh, so my. much to unpack what it means right. for him historically, what it means for the, the tour live culture war, what it means for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Where does your mind go initially with this Brooks Kapka victory? Uh, you know what's weird is I was flying home. Uh, we, we kind of alluded to this a couple times in the podcast. I flew home today from Rochester to Orlando because my youngest son graduates from high school early tomorrow morning, so I wouldn't have been able to make it. Um, it wasn't a good travel day. I don't want to talk about it. Me it, almost seems, it almost seems like you didn't make it today, like you almost didn't make the graduation. Uh, it was touch and go there for a while. 12 hours home from Rochester to Orlando is not the way you should do it. But I did write, actually, I wrote a Michael Block column because I thought that was a very, very cool story. And I actually wrote a story about, I don't even know if you saw this and everything else you, you were, you were kind of unpacking. But my mind immediately goes to how it impacts the Ryder Cup, which is a weird thing to do because all the historical points you just kind of ra- yeah, just like rifled we're, we're, we're four months away from the Ryder Cup and your, your mind is initially going there. That's interesting. Because... This seems like it locked it up. I think by most accounts that I saw, this is going to move him to second second on the list, Mm -hmm. which is, I think that's uh, not technically, probably not mathematically, but it's going to lock him up. And so suddenly all of those things that we sort of whispered about, well, all right, maybe not, maybe, but all those things, at the very least, it's going to put him inside the top 10, I I feel comfortable saying. So then if he's not locked as in the top six, I think that that's even more difficult for zach johnson but beyond how do you that, leave off how do you leave off of rating major champion on the team it's a it's oh a i don't think you do. can no no no. i don't i don't think you can but to put it in a 50 context leader at the masters and you know what was fun is i actually spent the last two days kind of doing a lot of reporting uh, about brooks and i'm sure you could talk to claude and claude had a lot of claude Harmon, his swing coach had a lot of interesting things to say but i talked with his dad uh bob kepka last night and we sort of covered a lot of ground one of the things that i think i touched on this last night was i don't think people understood how injured he was like i I, the the idea for my story was how broken was brooks because in retrospect when you talk to the people who are around him they'll tell you that it was almost tiger-like it was almost career-ending it was almost to the point that he's never going to play golf again and to get from that point to where he is right now I, i think that's pretty amazing uh, it is amazing. The one quote that did that make it into your story from his press conference was was this quote, and I'm going to have to clean this up uh, because it's a family podcast. Part of my language, Brooks Kepka said Sunday night, but it's all the effing poop I had to go through when asked oh, wow. why, like the emotion had bubbled up. Did he say him poop while he was walking? He did not while he was walking yeah. from the 18th green to the scoring. All the effing 
poop I had to go through. No one knows. No one knows all the pain. So, yeah, it felt good. It felt really good. The genesis for my story, kind of building off yours, I think different, was this is obviously a singular achievement for Brooks Kepler, right? Like, he's the one who is is posing with pictures, posing for pictures with the Wadabaker trophy. He's the one who gets all the glory. Um, I focused on all of the team members around Brooks and all of their personal anecdotes and stories and helping rebuild him back into a major champion. Like he had not won in four years. He was broken two years ago, last summer, like literally less than a year ago, Claude Harmon, his swing coach said that it was the worst that he'd ever seen Brooks Kepka play. We all saw the Netflix documentary. We also saw how he was portrayed in kind of a new open, vulnerable, accessible kind of contemplating his career mortality. And so Listening to, to Claude Harmon talk about the live decision and what went into it. Listening to Pete Cowan, who has kind of been um, this this unforgiving truth teller over the years as it comes with, with Brooks. Telling him not necessarily um, what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear. Hearing from Ricky Elliott, who's been there with Brooks for the highs and lows. Going out to L.A. with him two years ago and spending two and a half weeks with him in L.A. Uh, as he began the surgery and then the rehabilitation process. Talking to Andrew Cummings, uh, Brooks Kepka's trainer, uh, who got the call last November that this ailing star needed a lot of help uh, and, 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 and really did the grunt work, right, of, of actually putting this player back together. Brooks Kepka has said endlessly that I knew that I could win again if I could just get healthy. And so it starts with the trainer, and then it builds on to all the other portions. So that's kind of the tack that I took on Sunday night and why, and why, and why that story ended up being 3000 words. Wow. Uh, I can't wait to read it. I actually do want to read it. And usually I would be very reluctant to dive into 3000 of your words on a Sunday night. Cause you, you have a tendency to go, but that, that one I am curious about because I have, I, I've talked to the members of the team and I think this is, there's so many elements to this. You're right. I mean, the Ryder cup element, what this means uh, about pro golf at the highest level. What is it like? I, I don't know how many people texted me about. So what does this mean about live golf right now? And I don't know that it changes like, Brooks, I think, but like, but like Brooks and, and his team, like didn't go into that at all on Sunday. And like, I wouldn't like, imagine he would. It wasn't like the time nor the place for that. And like, I'm sure that's going to come, right. That's going to come the days. It's probably sure. going to come the weeks. It's going to be a predominant storyline. I'm sure when I mean, next time we see Brooks mm-hmm. kept at least in person uh, at the U S open, but right now it just, it just felt like, this was time for reflection, right? Like looking, looking at his, at his journey. I think we've touched on it, but I, I am curious. What, what does this mean? Right? Like we, we could talk about it. Brooks might not be wanting to, but what do you think it means for the landscape? Well, it's funny. I, I sent a manager texting me that, that exact question. And I sent him like a, like a war and peace novel text back. And his response to me was, Oh, okay. And I'm like, well, that was disappointing because okay. my take he is, just, he just, he just yeah, gives you the thumbs, thumbs up. up, thumbs up emoji. You're like, all right, that was a waste of time. I shouldn't have even have gone that far. Uh, I, I went back to Augusta and I felt like that normalized it to a certain degree because you had both sides together and there wasn't this conflict, whether if, whether the conflict was manufactured by the media or not. And we, that's a whole nother conversation. It wasn't there. I mean, we saw, you know, everybody hugging, Dustin Johnson. We saw all of the players moving around the range. Yes, it was a little uncomfortable for Phil Mickelson and Patrick Reed. Probably wasn't. Probably didn't get a lot of hugs. But the rest of them were just glad to be back. I mean, I saw uh, 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 Harold Varner 
the other day, just smiling and happy as happy as can be. And people were happy to see him. And I think the Brendan Steele sort of Keegan Bradley thing that I wrote about a couple of days ago about, I mean, Keegan missed his friend and he hadn't been around. So I think that normalized it to a certain degree. And my guess is, and we're going to have to wait to see how this plays out. This just does that even more. I, I don't think that the two sides are ever going to come together or come together anytime soon. But what what you're going to end up with is you don't think these, you don't think Brooks you don't think Brooks can can play peacemaker. I mean he he is not he's not bashed the tour. I mean Jay Monahan was in his wedding. He's not bashed any of the players who've stayed on the tour. He's just kind of done his own thing. Wouldn't he be the perfect person to um, kind of mend, mend some bridges if if they are actually going to go that route? To that point, actually, at the Champions Dinner earlier last week at Oak Hill, uh, earlier this week at Oak Hill, I mean, I, I was told that Brooks and Jay had a long conversation. That mm-hmm. you're right, like he could play peacemaker. I don't know. I don't even know if that's an option right now. I guess is the way I put it out there. And the reason I say that is, I feel like at the highest level, and I'm talking about Jay Monahan and Greg Norman on the two sides. I don't see either one of those leaders having any interest in trying to meet in the middle. I think both of them are so entrenched at this point that something else is going to have to happen. And I have no idea what that would be to burn the both sides, to burn both sides closer to the middle. But what I, what I did think and kind of wrote an item and Zach Johnson had an interesting interview today where there was a lot of back and forth about, (laughs) are you going to welcome Brooks onto this team? And are you going to go to live events and start scouting players? And incredibly uncomfortable interview. It, it seemed like it. I just read it again. I was kind of reading it in the Sky Lounge in the Atlanta airport. But I, it seems to me that if anything else, the Ryder Cup, and this is why I went straight to the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup could play that, that peacemaker role where suddenly, I mean, whether you like it or not, Brooks is going to be on that team. And I can imagine a scenario where at least one other player can play his way on there, whether that's DJ or uh, I don't know. Bryson. Could possibly I mean, Bryce, Bryson could do it. He's finished uh, T4. He's finished T4 yeah. the major. Sure, and I can imagine a scenario where you have two, at least two players on that team, and then all of a sudden now it's become normalized. It's become there. It isn't two sides. You don't have two distinct universes, and I think that could go a long way to to making this a little bit normal. Uh, I do agree with you on that front. I do think Brooks's victory here at Oak Hill does shatter some of those preconceived notions. It does shatter some of those narratives that have been pushed, including uh, by some on our air over the past year. Uh, the, one of the main criticisms of these players who took the bag hey. was that, look, these guys are getting guaranteed money they're, that they're not going to care anymore. And Claude Harmon III, talking to him as much as I did over the past two days, he, he's, he's made a bunch of valid points. Chief among them, when Lamar Jackson just signed his mega deal with the Ravens, got $185 million guaranteed. No one is saying that this guy's not going to try and win a Super Bowl now because he just got the bag and just got paid, right? Like, if this does not happen in any other sport. Justin Verlander goes to the Mets. Uh, Le- LeBron signs a new mega deal. Ja- John Morant, whatever the case may be. Like, those guys all, all of a sudden aren't just satiated. They're not just satisfied. They're not just going to phone it in because they got paid. And so why is there this double standard in golf? Why is Brooks any different than any of those players? That was the first one that he got. Secondly, he said if if Brooks didn't care about his legacy anymore, if he was just content with his playing career, then why did he hire Claude Harmon the third back last summer? 
If you recall, it was a nasty split two or three years ago, fueled in large part because of uh, one of uh, Claude Harmon's other students, Dustin Johnson, became a world beater in 2020, and there's a little bit of rivalry and jealousy on that front. But the, it, was, it was nasty. It was personal. It was hurtful. They took two years apart. If Brooks Kepka did not care about being a great player anymore, then why did he, he swallow his pride in July 2022, sidle up to Harmon and said, hey, I need your help. I still think I can win major championships. I still believe that I have a lot of glory uh, left in me. Please help me rediscover it. Like, that's that's not what we've come to expect from these players. We thought that they're just they're just going to go waste away and they're going to become irrelevant. They're not going to factor in major championships anymore. They're just going to be content with what their playing record was. Uh, I think the Masters showed that that's not true. Three of the top six in the leaderboard there. And now Brooks Kepka doing it here, as well as Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, Cam Smith had a good mm-hmm. Sunday. Like These are still great golfers. It's just a matter of, like, he, he equated it to, to NASCAR and Formula One. There's two different tours. But you're still... You're still a car driver. Like, you still drive a car. Some drive for NASCAR. Some drive for Formula One. And then when you get to get – like, no one's like, oh, you, you drive for NASCAR. You're not a real, you're not a real racer. No one goes to Max Verstappen, hey, you, you drive for Formula One. You're not a real race car driver. That's not what it, the case may be. It's just in golf. We have four times a year that we can get these players together. They're, they're golfers. They're golfers. It doesn't matter what tour they're necessarily on. I feel like Claude missed the boat. He should have copyrighted, took the bag turn that into t-shirts and hats because i've heard that line a lot myself it's a bag. good line they took the bag uh and, and this is a little unfair and and it, I'll, I'll take the heat on it because i started with the Ryder cup and the live golf stuff because it, it does ignore a brilliant performance i mean it, watching him today he he did what i thought scotty scheffler was going to do honestly after essentially two and a half two and three quarter rounds I thought he was just going to be able to go out there and play prevent defense. And that's essentially what he did. I mean, I will give, actually, I'm going to go on record really, really quick on that. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that was prevent defense Sunday at Oak Hill. What, what Brooks Kepka Uh, did, like he made, he made six birdies. He was very much on the offensive. Victor, Victor Havel, we haven't gotten into it. Like that was a gamely performance by a guy who we talked about on this podcast had a lot to prove, right? St. Andrews. Well, and I will say this. Augusta National. I asked. And I, I think you had asked Brooks, you know, what did you learn from Augusta that you can carry over? And he was very reluctant on Saturday night to tell you that. I called Bob Kepka and, and tried to get the same answer out of him. Like, what did he learn? Do you think he's going to turn over? And Bob actually said he felt like that he was 100% going to be aggressive, that whatever it is he decided to do on Sunday at Augusta didn't work. And all right, you know what? I'm just going to go out and be aggressive. And if it's not good Pete, enough, then fine. It's not Pete good. Pete Cowan enough. told me, quote, I almost tried not to lose it. Uh, that was you Brooks, mean that was yeah that was Brooks Kepka's mentality and he said he was never going to do that again that in that I position that. he has to know that guys are going to come chase him guys are going to come after him and he needs to be ready for the fight he needs to be ready for the fight and he needs to get after it and and just to that go was like on the, the big record, mystery well and just to go on the record and this epiphany came to me as I'm watching the final round in the Delta Lands at, in Atlanta Airport and I felt like even texting you I knew you were busy so I didn't bug, bug you but uh, and please. And please, uh, yes, meet me, everybody, the world, meet me on camera one right here. I was wrong about Victor Hovland. I think I sat here on this podcast last night and said, nope, nope, not going to get it done. Like, I don't, I, I just don't have any, any faith in his short game. I was wrong. He's going to win a major and it might be the next major. It he, might be I mean, the he is so good. 
Victor Holland. That dude did everything so he could possibly good. do. Yeah, I mean, there is no way. He, I think he missed the green on on two. If I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, and it it was not an easy up and down. I mean, it was it was actually a tight lie down at the bottom of the hill, and he had to hit kind of a manufactured shot. Had to hit a spinner. And I'm I'm sitting in the in the lounge thinking to myself, this is glorious. Like I'm I'm the grief eater. I'm gonna sit and watch him skull this across the green. And it was just perfectly hit. A lot of spin, right on the right spot, spun it to about two feet and made the putt. You know what? That shows me. I, I have changed. I, I've changed my mind. I'm on team Victor right now. He's gonna win a major. Uh, he is going to win a major. The ball striking is so good. It was not his best ball striking performance on Sunday. It was, good, yet it was, it was it, good. I mean, it was it was his short game play. It was his, it was putter. That actually bailed him out and was okay. the reason why he was fighting all the way into the end with Brooks Kepka. I I was I was positioned about twenty yards ahead of Victor Hovland on that sixteenth hole when he found the fairway bunker, probably got a little bit too greedy with a nine iron, uh, ended up catching the lip and had to get the relief and ended up making double bogey. It was it was striking to me how Brooks Kepka's demeanor did not change throughout that entire ordeal. Mm. He sat there with his hand on his hip, foot crossed in front of the other, stoic, calm, confident, unflinching. And then when it was his turn to play, he did so in about 15 seconds. Got the club, got the yardage, took a swing, stepped in, took one target, took one look at the target, and whoosh, and knocked that thing to about three feet. Ball game. And that, and, I mean, and that, was, that was it. I mean, the Good tournament sound. was over. The tournament Good. was over in a matter of three minutes. Um, but but Victor, Victor Hovland, to put a fine point on it, uh, an exceptional performance. He kind of bowed out early right at St. Andrews, shot 74 in the final group with Roy McRoy, tied with the 54-hole lead, penultimate group at the Masters, played poorly there. This one actually hurt. This one, he got his heart broken, and I actually think that'll make him better at the next time he's in that position. And I would argue he got beat. Like, we do this all the time. Like, it's a silly sports radio thing where, you know, did he lose? Did he get beat? I, I would say he got beat. Like, he played a, an unbelievable round of golf. I, and I'll go to immediately. Like, I wanted to look this up before we got on the podcast. But strokes gained around the green for Victor. He was 10th in the field. Gained more than three, three strokes on the field. Scrambling, he was 6th. That's 14 for 21. That's really good for a guy that I sat on this podcast last night and said, nope. Not going to do it because I don't trust the short game. I Take do think Oak Hill's thick, long, rough kind of negated it, or, it mitigated or reduced, it. yeah, mitigated yeah. some of the, the the clear weakness. If he, if he was pitching off, you know, that really tight, grainy Bermuda, uh, it could have been a different story. But look, I think he's he's made he's made tremendous strides in that area. It's not for a lack of effort, right? Like he's he's clearly putting in the work. No. It's 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 rare to have a world class player who has such a glaring deficiency, um, but I, I thought his performance here uh, leads a bit to believe uh, that that a, that a major championship is not too far away. How about the other big headliners, Rex, uh, who uh, still did crack the top ten? Scotty Scheffler, kind of doomed by that Saturday uh, seventy three, as well as Roy McIlroy, who kind of did what he always does, teased us three consecutive rounds of sixty nine to close out the week, ended up finishing. T7. What are your thoughts on those two guys? Uh, didn't have his best stuff. I, I think I'm talking with him Saturday night after that round. Uh, he was clear that he didn't feel like he was hitting the ball well enough. He actually talked about hitting the driver and knowing it was going to go in the rough and just kind of coming to grips with that. And that's got to be for a player of his caliber who has done things with the driver at major championships that really no one outside of probably Tiger Woods and maybe Jack Nicholas have done. That's got to be hard for him to swallow, but reading the transcript tonight, 
I was more taken by the idea that he, again, let the middle game get the best of him. That teeing off and already being behind, like someone's already jumped out to a four, five, six-stroke lead on Thursday, gets in his head, and he starts pressing. That, to me, is amazing for a player, one, as accomplished as he is, and two, as talented as he is. It's, it's fascinating to me that Rory is sometimes Rory's worst enemy. I mean, it's a good way to put it, and I think it, it was striking <laughs> that. <laughs> Thanks for the input. <laughs> it it was it it just there was a there was a moment of reflection when Brooks was going down sixteen and Rory was teeing off on eighteen. A Doug Ferguson, I'm officially the last person uh, to leave this media center. Here Doug, come by Doug. Yeah, by Doug. Doug's done. Dope. That Rory was coming down eighteen. Brooks was on an adjacent fairway going down 16. Could you have imagined the 2014 PGA when Roy McIlroy is, what, 23, 24 years old, just won his fourth major championship? Brooks was, Brooks was actually actually a funny story. Brooks played a practice round with Jonas Blix that week, and Tom Watson, who was that year's Ryder Cup captain, wanders up to him on the first tee and asks him, have you guys seen Harris English? And they're like looking around like, no, I haven't, I haven't seen Harris English. He goes, huh. All right, I'm looking for Harris. Do you mind if I I play with you guys uh, while I go out in the golf course and, and see if I can find him there? Yeah, sure, whatever. Brooks launches one over the tree. Tom uh, had the no fairway. idea. A month later, he goes on to finish T4 at the U.S. Open. And Tom Watson, as they're walking down the first fairway, goes to Brooks and said, Hey, which club do you play out of? <laughs> <laughs> he thought Brooks Kepka was a club pro. Uh, this Brooks Kepka was a club pro that year's uh, Ryder Cup captain. I think that obviously portended pretended poorly uh, for what would go down. Probably would have told us what was going to happen in, in Scotland. And actually uh, of all the columns I've gotten my hand slapped on and, and I got my hand slapped really, really hard on this one. It was the column coming out of that Ryder Cup and saying that, that Tom Watson was not the captain for that time. And nothing against Tom. Like, look, man, there's, you can't take anything against his legacy. But that's a With perfect example. Captain, I'm not sure he was the but captain that's a, for any time. But that's uh, – well, no. I mean, he's the last captain to, to win on, on over in Europe. So I, I would say there was a time when he was a very, very not good with, captain. Not, not with not, the mentality yeah. that he had for that, that And, and that anecdote is a perfect example of why. And it has nothing to do with his ability to be a captain. It has nothing to do with his ability to play golf. It's – He's just completely unconnected. Like at that point in time, if you didn't know who Brooks Kepka was on some level, that in, to the point that you confused him with a, a, a club pro is just baffling. I forgot what the point of the story was. Oh, um, oh, that was the week. Oh, that was the week that Roy won his fourth major championship. Like you could not have envisioned nine years ago that Roy would not win another one, and that Brooks Kepka, the quote unquote club pro, would now have five. I mean, he has established himself as the preeminent player of the post-Tiger era. He has more than Rory. He has more than JT. He has more than Spieth. He has more than all of these players uh, for which we tend to crown with, with you know, one or two achievements. He's, he's the best of them. He is the best of them. That is indisputable. I see you, Sausage Finger. Thanks. Didn't think you saw it. I, I would want to turn this on you. You're right. That, that is the dichotomy of that is, is interesting. But I, I would want to turn this on you because I wrote it last night and watching today and listening to the interview, I, I wrote that he has become humanized and the Netflix special had a lot to do with that. I think we, we got an insight into him that, that I don't think he had ever allowed. I, I think, again, talking with Claude, certainly the last week, but even before that, 
that there is an exterior that I think he's let down a little bit. Would you agree with that? No. Nope. Hmm. Nope. At tournaments, no. I think there's a depth to his story that didn't necessarily exist before. But when you get him inside the ropes, he's still Terminator. When you get him inside behind a microphone, robot. he's still he's still he's still the elf. He's not a he's not he I wouldn't say he's robotic at all. I think he is playing a character at golf tournaments. I think Tiger Woods in his heyday played a character at golf it's performative. tournaments. performative. He yes, it is it is absolutely performative. He wants to show no weakness. He doesn't want to give his peers any any sense of hope, any 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 glimmer of opportunity. I think it's completely performative. I mean, I've heard countless times today that the Brooks Koepke you see at golf tournaments is not the same person who yeah. you see at home, right? Like you've you've heard that as well. I don't need yeah. to oh, see yeah. I don't need to see Brooks being this this vulnerable character at golf tournaments. It would it would feel it would it would feel like disingenuous to to what he is. I, I mean, he's established himself. If he was warm and fuzzy, if suddenly he became Rory, you'd be like, "Hey, like that didn't work." Yeah, like no, he's not. He's not this thoughtful, introspective guy at golf tournaments. He's there to bash your brains in, and he has the record that like proves proves that he can do it. It's it's like so we always talk about Rory, right? Like how how young and free and 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 confident um, that he used to be, and now. You wonder, can he tap back into that sort of mentality now that he's 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 evolved and he's become more well read and he's more well rounded and he's a he's a he's a he's a father and he's a husband? Like, can he tap back into the, that ruthless aggression that he's always had? Brooks is the same person. Brooks is exactly the same as when he came out in 2017. Is there a depth to his story now? Do we know? more about yeah. the struggles to getting back. Sure. Yeah. And I think that makes him more interesting. Is he a different person? Has he been humbled on this stage? No. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't know. No, I, don't no. I, I feel like he has, I feel like injury. And again, this goes back to last year and I'm sure that you had this conversation with Claude, but it was about this time last year when he started wrestling with the idea, do I need to go to live? And we know now that that, that that decision was based entirely on the idea that at 30 something years old, he thought he was washed, which again, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around considering his record, but his body hurt so much and he had gone through so much and he didn't feel like he was at a point where he can continue to be Brooks Kepka on the PGA tour. So, okay, I'm going to take the bag money dip Claude Harmon on that one. That, that to me shows me that at some point, and again, maybe you're right. Maybe he hasn't been humanized because reading the comments of our uh, podcast last night, it doesn't sound to me like the public has any more affinity for him now than they did before. However, I, I think just in our eyes, or at least in my eyes, I would say that, yeah, I, I, I at least tried to see another side of Brooks. Whereas before, I like this, this side. I, I like I like his story. I, I, like I like the Stone Cold Killer, too. I, I have yeah. nothing against him. I mean, look, I mean, Kobe was a, a god in L.A. I mean, c- because of the Kobe mentality. That was the whole idea, mama mentality. However, in this particular case, I, I have, at least in my own mind, humanized him to the point that, okay, I can empathize with what he's gone through. I can understand that, man, like the injuries were really, really bad. 
and he was wrestling with a lot of stuff that hmm, as good as I was, I may not never get back to there. That to me makes it a compelling story. He's, he's great to write. Like, boy, yeah, you can, you can count on one hand, the number of players who you would want to write about more than Brooks Kepka. We talked about in this preview podcast uh, earlier this week at the PGA Championship, like how difficult it is to write about John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. Their their career trajectory has basically gone in one direction. Their little their 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 blips throughout their career is oh I didn't you know I didn't play well for for two or three months or I you know I had a had a had a bad major championship season. Like those are those guys' setbacks. We're talking about some real. To use his to use his words, effing poop over the past couple of years that Brooks Kepka has dealt with that makes him more interesting. That makes him more compelling. We want depth of character. They it makes them relatable. Sure. It makes them interesting. It just to to think that he is a different person inside the ropes. No, I wasn't saying that. No, no, but and it, I, I wasn't saying that. I think what but I was like, trying to, to say, cover say, to cover to cover him, he is way more interesting now than when he was in his Shinnecock Bell Reef days. Oh, oh, absolutely, you're right because there there are the layers, and there is the idea that in in a lot of again a lot of this is Netflix, and I think that was 100 percent performative. Like he was playing to the cameras, and there's no doubt about that. But I also, you and I both have talked to enough people around him to understand that it was real. Like he looked at his own career, professional mortality in the face and decided, you know what? I'm going to try to do this. He's incredibly honest. He's incredibly honest with his own expectations, with his own performances. Like that's one of his better qualities, according to those who who know him best. Right. Like he can like he he said earlier this week on the Barstool podcast, like I choked. I choked to the Masters. He is he is real. He doesn't want the fluff. He doesn't pretend. And I think that that quality is actually serving quite well. Uh, throughout his his career, what do you what do you think? What do you think is possible? He's thirty three years old. What do you think is possible? I mean, for his career, if he can stay yeah. healthy, I mean, suddenly we start talking about like Phil Mickelson reign, right? That's the next step. That's I'm one. Sure that's you, one more. It's only one way he could do that. He could do that next month. You're US right. Open. And like there's that was no going to be my follow up to you. Six months. I I don't know that I would make him. I was about to ask you if he would be your favorite. I'm not quite sure he'd be my favorite at that particular golf course. You and I just got through slapping it around there, so I, I don't know if I, I would I would pick him to be the favorite there. But he would be among the favorites. I, I I would say. I mean, well, I mean, the ceiling is very very high if he can stay. I mean, that's the asterisk always, right? If he can stay healthy, then of course. I mean, we've seen what he can do in less than two years. He won four. So if he goes on another terror like that, suddenly we'll start talking about Tiger Woods territory, which seems outrageous. Yeah, I mean, LACC is such a unique U.S. Open venue. I mean, if it's soft, if they haven't had the rough grow in like they want to, like we played at, what, three weeks ago or so, like you could have 15, 20 under par win that golf tournament. That's not really Brooks Kepka's special. What did you pick to win this week? Eight? Did you go eight? I picked eight. I did and too. Yeah, we were pretty close. Uh, I and I think I picked Scotty, and you picked Rom. No, I picked Scotty. I picked Scotty, but I said Brooks Kepka would be the low would be the low live player. I picked DJ. Uh, so yeah. that was so that was one two on the leaderboard. Kudos to me. Uh, I wouldn't put him. I mean, boy, the way Tip he, your own the way hand at yourself. The way he's performed in the major championships. I don't know how you would put him anything other than. Well, boys, I mean. Scotty finished T two here. 
John Rahm is a force every time he tees it up. I mean, he's at worst three. I think if it was a better golf course fit, I think he'd be a no-brainer, number one, given his record in the U.S. Open. But 60-yard wide fairways, a uh, little rough. Uh, I do think scoring will be good. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be the best fit for him. And I, I will say this, and this goes to the larger live picture, because I, I'm sure we had this conversation going into the Masters, because we just didn't know. Like, how do the live players slot in? They're playing 54-hole events. We don't have shot link. We can't quantify if they're playing well or not. We don't have strokes gain whatever to decide, are, are, they, are they playing well enough? I think the last two majors have completely dispelled that in my mind. And, and I don't know, like, going forward, I'm a little lost, to be quite frank with you, because <laughs> there, there are ways that you and I sit down when we're doing previews and we decide, okay, this guy's playing well, that guy's not. Look, you, you can go and say oh, Dustin Johnson won last week on the Live Tour, but you don't have the strokes gain. It's only 54 holes. And again, I'm not getting into that debate whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's 54 holes, and it's, it's a very limited field. I, I just don't know how to handicap these guys, but apparently it doesn't matter. I mean, I think at this point good golf is good golf, right? I do think that we've seen a benefit well from, from Live's schedule that – that three to four months off was very well used for Brooks Kepka rehabbing his body. It was very well used for Phil Mickelson uh, getting Dustin. everything in order. Uh, well, Dustin hasn't played particularly well. Bryson DeChambeau, who has reasserted himself over the past two weeks, finishing T4. We never would have predicted that at the beginning of the week, but it was all because mm-hmm. of the time he had off to work on his body to make sure uh, that he was physically fit. Just to put a fine point on Brooks Kepke at the majors for the next two years, uh, if you take out last year's tournament when he was obviously lost, we've documented that. The last two appearances in the Open Championship, T6 and T4. Uh, yeah, he is going to be a factor uh, once again in the next two Majors. How would you wrap up this week, Rex, at the PJ Championship? Last time the PJ was here was a decade ago. Did you enjoy the week? Do you think the PJ should come back here? What are just kind of your final thoughts on the week? Our friend uh, Doug Ferguson, I saw tweeted this morning that uh, the PGA should not leave Rochester without uh, re-signing Oak Hill. What's the next available date? 2032, 2031. Maybe? 2031, 31. according to the banners that I'm looking at. Uh, don't let one of those banners hit you on the head. Um, I, I don't know that I particularly agree with this, and, and we've had fun with you this week, uh, myself and Mark Slayball, the, the golf writer from ESPN, because you are a Rochester homer. It's your home game. You've, you've leaned in. You've been just a raging pain in the butt about it and the pooper about it. Um, I, 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 will say, <laughs> I will say this. The golf course itself – it was phenomenal. The the was phenomenal. What what they've done with the redesign is really really cool. Like walking around the property, I don't remember anything from Jason Dufner winning, and I can probably walk you through all eighteen holes right now because I was so fascinated by what they've done, with just with the layout and revitalizing the Donald Ross design and making it so much more textured and interesting. That being said, and and look, you're a homer because it's your hometown event. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to put – and I thought about this on the plane on the, on the way home, on the, on the very, very long way home tonight. I'm, I'm from a little tiny town in Florida called Titusville, Florida, and I loved growing up in Titusville, Florida. It was an awesome place. They should never play a major championship in Titusville, Florida. They probably shouldn't play a major championship in, in Rochester. If you really, really, if you really, really like Oak Hill, dig it up and take it to Long Island. That's my take. Why not? What's wrong with, with – wrong, what is wrong with Rochester? 
It's try, a try tiny and, little try town. And say that, it's a, try and say that three times. What is wrong <laughs> with Rochester? <laughs> Spit it out. Uh, tiny little town, Podunk Little Airport. Uh, the hotel I stayed in was bad. Traffic was bad. Like, I can keep going, man. It just, it's, it's, it should not host a major championship. There's a reason why major cities host Super Bowls. And a major championship is our Super Bowl. Rochester so, is a major city. It is not a major city. It has no other major sports. No other major sports. Uh, it does have two. It has a minor league hockey team and a minor league baseball uh, team. Okay, it's in the name. You actually said it in the name. You said minor in both names. They don't have any other major sport. They don't have an NBA team. They don't have an MLB team. They don't have a major league sport there. Buffalo and, Bills again, are, are an hour and a half away. That's Buffalo. Is an hour that's and a half Buffalo. Away. You're talking about an entirely different market. If we if you want to, all right, fine. Dig up the Rochester, the Rochester metropolitan area is the third largest regional economy in New York after only New York City and Buffalo. Okay, that's fine. Case in point for your your first point. First, first point. Oak Hill, I thought was tremendous. I came here as a kid. Uh, I played two junior junior tournaments here. I remember hating it. I described it as like a long harbor town where you could be in the fairway and just get blocked out. It was super frustrating, super unmemorable. How did um, you know you never played harbor town at that point? <laughs> now, now I can, I can, I can relate like that. The Sean McKeel PJ was obviously a disaster, super unmemorable. You think back to 2013, I covered that one. Wasn't great either. The golf course now is, is fantastic. The six, the six holes a little bit ridiculous, quite possibly one no. of the hardest holes. I think I've I ever seen, but there's so many good holes now and 12 through 15 uh, on this golf course. So much can happen. So many swing potentials. I thought the golf course was fantastic. Andrew Green, the renovation he did back in 2019, like, wow, tip of the cap. I do look forward to this golf tournament coming back here. And and yeah, maybe I'm biased. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, my per- maybe, maybe, maybe my perspective is shaded on things. It, it was absolutely fantastic to come back home for this major championship. Who knows, Rex? I mean, you you might be dead in eight years' time if this thing comes back in 2031. Wow. I'm not sure if I'm going to still be doing this. And so to be able to spend four or five uh, really soggy hours with my dad slopping around Oak Hill, seeing some high school friends who I hadn't seen in forever was was absolutely tremendous. Spending time uh with with my family it's been a it has been a, a really great week seeing some some folks in the crowd that i haven't seen in a very long time selfishly even even if i'm the only person outside of the rochester area who wants to see this golf tournament come back i do hope it comes back i think the golf uh i think the golf course is worthy of major championships uh, and i do believe the rochester area uh, though they may be starved for big time events uh i i think anyone who participated in this PGA Championship this week knows that this was a hearty faithful. They were out in droves during the downpour on Saturday, and they were out in full throat on Sunday. What was a glorious day, even though you were stuck in the Delta Terminal. All right. I mean, outside of Oak Hill, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, the the second most important thing that Rochester is known for is something called the garbage plate. Am I wrong? Right? That's just that's just lazy reporting. No. Uh, they're known again. Tell me I'm wrong. They're lo- they're known they're known for the, the two Finger minor Lakes. league teams. They're known for the Finger Lakes area where I actually did grow up. I'm not. I people say that I'm from Rochester. I'm not. People from oh, the now Finger Lakes dissing, Canada now you're dissing do not associate with Rochester. No, I, I would never yeah. drive for 35 minutes to go up here. Canada, New York 
had everything that I need. I will be there the next two days. I'll send you uh, plenty of snappy chats and keep you informed. The sixth hole is the hardest hole on the PGA Tour this year by 0.1 stroke, which is dramatic. That that's that's by a by a long shot. Oh yeah, just I I wanted to look it, yeah. and I liked it. I didn't mind it at all. I I love the idea that those guys had to work hard for a par. A little bit silly, a little bit silly, uh, but sometimes that's okay. Par is just a, par is just a construct. Doesn't matter if it's a par seventy, it's a par seventy one. You're all losing the same golf course. <laughs> all right. Enjoy the graduation on Monday. It's in about nine hours. Make sure you get some rest. Enjoy the party. I'm going to enjoy Canada, New York. We will reconvene next week to recap Colonial, uh, talk about the NCAA championships where I'm going to be next week in Arizona, (laughs) as well as preview the Memorial, the next designated event on the PJ Tour schedule. Enjoy it. Thank you guys so much for listening to all of our Golf Channel podcast with Rex and Lav throughout Major Week. It was once again a success. We appreciate all the views on YouTube. We appreciate all the listens and downloads on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for another great week. Look forward to doing it once again at the U.S. Open in L.A. Those are going to be tough with the time. Those will be tough with the time difference, Rex. Uh, but we will strive to do so we'll and bring them we'll to you in a family fashion. All right. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you next week. 